Futures trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Opinions and statements of guests not affiliated with Everag are their own and do not reflect the views of Everag. The accuracy of their statements cannot be guaranteed by Everag. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by Everag Insights. Each week, we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Let's get started with a review of the markets. Today is Tuesday, April 11th. May corn is trading up three and a half cents at 657 and a half. May soybeans are trading up 19 and three quarters at 1507 even. This week, we're sharing a previously recorded interview with Mac Marshall, Vice President of Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Council. The interview was recorded on April 5th. We hope you enjoy the show. Turning to our guests this week, it's our privilege to have Mac Marshall, Vice President of Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board. Welcome to the show and thanks for joining us today, Mac. Uh, Thanks so much for having me, Britt. It's a pleasure to be on. Mac, first off, to get started, can you tell us a little bit about who the United Soybean Council is and the work that you folks do? Absolutely. So, um... You know, just for grounding, the United Soybean Board is also commonly referred to as uh, the soy checkoff. Uh, It's one of many checkoff programs uh, in the country uh, that are oriented. uh, And really, the the purpose is to reinvest uh, farmer dollars that are retained as part of a sale of any uh, unit of that commodity and redeploy them for advancing the industry as a whole. And the way that we look at that is really along a research promotion continuum. You know, that promotion is really kind of promotion and marketing space where it's all about growing opportunities for markets for placing uh, U.S. soy. Now, how we do that is, you know, it really kind of starts at the beginning of that research to promotion continuum where our farmers each year uh, will choose the whole portfolio of potential uh, investments to fund. And these are all geared towards, again, advancing the industry. And it's everything starting on the research side from looking at on-farm research, you know, opportunities for enhancing productivity or increased adoption of measurable sustainable practices uh, to, you know, potentially looking at more novel inputs. You know, those are all things that are happening on the research side. But I think also, you know, a, a key market research, key evidence that, you know, we need for evidence-based uh, marketing and being able to showcase what U.S. soy can do for users domestically and overseas. And uh, it's through checkoff investments that we've kind of moved from, you know, proof of concept in some avenues to, you know, really fully blown mature markets now. And I think a, a prime example of that is is biodiesel. You know, if you go back to the 90s, soy meal, you know, has historically been the driver of value for soy. Remember, you can crush beans, 80% of that uh, fraction is, is meal, 20% is oil. And, you know, back then, soy oil was really thought of as more of a byproduct. So the question is, okay, well, what do we do with this? We need to find a new, uh, use for it. And, you know, through consultation, you know, technical consultation and looking at market feasibility, eventually the uh, U.S. You know, biodiesel industry was born. Now, as, as years before, it's eventually commercially viable. But now it's uh, the biomass-based diesel market in the United States uh, is quite sizable. And a lot of that really uh, started or um, the momentum started behind it back in the 90s through checkoff investments. So that's just one example. But, you know, we're continuing to work to diversify opportunities for U.S. soybean farmers. 
uh, both in terms of demand opportunities. So it's continuing to look at uh, innovations uh, in, in various technologies uh, in various demand segments. So uh, looking at novel uses and applications for soy in a number of industrial products. I encourage our listeners to check out unitedsoybean.org for more information about uh, a number of the various products that you that can find soy in that you wouldn't necessarily think. So, you know, adhesives, dust suppressants, uh, fire extinguisher foam, of course, biodiesel, uh, Skechers shoes. We actually at Commodity Classic earlier this year, we had a nice showcase of uh, all the different areas where you can you can find soy and a lot of the celebrations behind that. So that's, that's of course, exciting, continuing looking at new uses, but also advancing traditional uses of soy and soy products. Now, of course, animal agriculture is far and away the number one use of soy in the form of soy meal as, a, as an input to animal feed. So we're, of course, you know, continuing to advance research and promotion that is very relevant for animal agriculture as well, including, you know, looking at uh, opportunities for, you know, additional soy meal inclusion and in swine diets, opportunities for improving uh, animal health outcomes through use and feeding of soy. So these are all things that are happening in the research space, which ultimately translate into helping uh, grow and make markets for U.S. soy. And that's, you know, a snapshot of it. There's a lot more in the mechanics behind it. And recently, USB has initiated and uh, it's now uh, fully into a new strategic plan, which looks a lot more holistically at the opportunities for investment for U.S. farmers. So it's looking at a couple different priority areas that have been identified by our farmer leaders, our board, in terms of what is going to be relevant and important for advancing the U.S. soy industry in the years to come. And those priority areas, uh, each of which has a uh, designated farmer leader overseeing and, and uh, really advancing that part of the investment portfolio in conjunction with other farmers that comprise uh, the working groups that evaluate potential investment opportunities in each of these areas. Those areas being health and nutrition, infrastructure and connectivity, and innovation and technology. And, you know, we look at it from both the supply side and the demand side. And, you know, you take something like health and nutrition, that's everything ranging from soil and plant health, you know, because ultimately that's what it's about. You have to have uh, good stewardship of the land. You have to have uh, the ability to grow a healthy crop. But, it's, you know, you also think further downstream, I mentioned the research into animal health. Well, health and nutrition Looking at soy's impact on animal health and, and positive outcomes there, you know, that's certainly one key part, but also, you know, direct to human consumption too. There's a, you know, a lot of uh, opportunities, I think, for soy, both in the existing market and in the years to come for, you know, more consumers to see a, a actually greater appreciation and understanding of soy and its nutritional benefits. Uh, and then the other two areas just to round it out. So innovation and technology. You know, I mentioned the birth of the biodiesel industry. I mentioned uh, applications in, um, you know, many diversified industrial products. That's really where that heart of that innovation technology priority area lies. You know, like what are new innovations that are potentially coming to market or could be viable that have a, a use for soy? And that's really on the demand side, supply side. You know, what are additional on-farm innovations that can be implemented and in, in brought into the market to help expand that toolbox for farmers? And then rounding it all out is, is uh, infrastructure and connectivity. Now, as a checkoff organization, we can't fund, you know, actual steel in the ground or physical infrastructure. But one of the things that we do and we can fund is, you know, uh, research and uh, background analysis on site design and viability, feasibility studies. 
And probably two of the, you know, one of the best examples of that is um, a dredging project for the lower Mississippi River, where our farmers had committed uh, $2 million for site design and uh, research and analysis that uh, to, to see what the impact would be if we had a lowering of the depth of the lower Mississippi River from 45 feet to 50 feet. Well, why does that lowering of the draft matter? It allows you to have uh, larger vessels come in, which leads to greater economies of scale for transportation, not just out of the country, U.S. soy being an export-oriented crop. That's, of course, very critical, but also, you know, inbound opportunities because uh, there's also a lot of receipt of inputs that are you know, going back up the Mississippi, too. So being able to play a role in advancing that is, is really critical. Anything we can do to improve the overall efficiency of our transportation systems uh, when we are a country that does produce for agricultural surplus and um, you know, has a role and responsibility in uh, getting that surplus into international markets, you know, maintaining that competitive advantage um, and hallmark of being a reliable supplier of choice, continuous advancement in infrastructure is absolutely critical. And you know, when we think about infrastructure and connectivity, it's not just, you know, physical road, rail, river. We also think about the nature of connectivity and connecting farmers to markets. So you can connect farmers to markets through physical infrastructure, but you can also do it through information, right? So, you know, investments in rural broadband, the ability to have farmers better connected uh, to markets from that information channel as well is, uh, is another critical area of investment. So these are uh, the, the general areas that are considered by our farmers and farmers from each of these priority area groups also comprise a communications committee because there's plenty of uh, work that goes on in you know each of those uh, those aforementioned priority areas that is you know really critical to communicate. I mean, if you're doing the research and you know building the evidence base for you know potentially marketing and looking for new opportunities for placing of soy, you have to be able to you know communicate it and tell the story and say to your end users and stakeholders, okay, well, we understand what you're looking for. Here's how soy can play a role in that solution. So it's it's a very, very exciting time uh, for our industry, for our crop, for our farmers. And, um, you know, that, that, that's the direction that we're heading on. Excellent. Well, it sounds like the work that you and the council are doing is really comprehensive in nature as it pertains to soybeans specifically. One of the things that you mentioned, Mac, there's actually a couple of things that I'd like to circle back around on and dig into a little deeper. And and one of those things is just in the biofuels innovation space. Renewable diesel has, you know, it's it's certainly been a buzz in the industry. It's a wonderful new kind of or newfound demand center for soybeans. Tell me a little bit more about the work that the council is doing around that kind of biofuels initiative. Yeah, so, you know, each year, uh, again, I mentioned that innovation and technology work stream. You know, one of the areas that our farmers have, I think, you know, really mindfully but aggressively uh, wanted to pursue is soy's role in biofuels, specifically the biomass-based diesel market. And in the U.S., biomass-based diesel basically segregates into a couple different fuels. You've got traditional biodiesel, uh, which I mentioned before, you know, it's been on the market in one way, shape, or form you know, since the 90s and certainly grown out significantly in the early part of this century. And then, of course, you've got renewable diesel and then sustainable aviation fuel. Now, I'll hold sustainable aviation fuel off to the side for a moment just because it's it's a much smaller market in the U.S. at present. I think capacity is about 10 million gallons in the U.S. in 2022, but it is a market that's poised for growth in the years to come. But um, I think more more immediately, this growth in renewable diesel is incredibly, incredibly exciting. 
our farmers have taken a, I think, a very wise and measured approach towards wanting to grow the biofuels industry for soy. So that means, you know, working with Clean Fuels Alliance America, you know, which is an industry body that represents, you know, really the, uh, <laughs> it was the, the National Biodiesel Board, but, you know, now as we've had this, this evolving situation with renewable diesel becoming a more recognized and predominant fuel source, there's been a lot more, um, you know, investment and focus around that. So, you know, working with Clean Fuels and other partners to, I think, tell the story of renewable diesel and how soy plays a role in helping advance it and decarbonize the economy is absolutely critical. So I think it's important to get grounded on, you know, why renewable diesel is unfolding and what the, you know, potentials are for the markets relevant for soy in the years to come. California's got this, uh, you know, I think pretty aggressive push to decarbonize its economy by 20% by the end of the decade. Several years ago, it established a low carbon fuel standard, which is a state-run policy program that enables credits for production of renewable diesel. So that's that's incredibly exciting because it's created uh, this environment in California where now there's a you know pretty sizable demand and economic opportunity for producers of renewable diesel. And you know why is there so much excitement around this? I and mean, we already have biodiesel. Well, they're two distinct fuels. I think that's an important piece to remember. Renewable diesel is the hydrocarbon. Once it's finally produced, it is chemically equivalent to petroleum-based diesel, except that rather than, you know, being produced through ultimately an, an extraction, as you do with, uh, with petroleum-based uh, fuels, you're doing it off of a feedstock that is renewable. You're doing it off of a feedstock that ultimately comes from plants that are grown in the heartland of this country, and plants that are grown year after year. Soy certainly playing a very, very critical role in that. Now we're not the only feedstock in the game. You know, I think part of the part of the beauty of this whole program is the feedstocks that can be used to produce renewable diesel. You know, really all come together and form a, a mosaic that I think um, help enable that market. You can use other things like used cooking oil, distillers corn oil, canola oil recently got a regulatory pathway uh, for use here. Tallows, greases, as well as you know, uh, potential novel cover crops like uh, like pennycress. So it, it's really exciting overall time here. Now, there are lots of uh, announcements that, you know, we can see a doubling of the biomass-based diesel market by the end of the decade. Um, we'll, we'll see what comes to fruition. But for now, uh, you know, really the last couple of years, the market has really reevaluated uh, the value of soybean oil. You know, I said earlier, you know, when you crush beans, you get 80% meal, 20% oil. So historically, meal has been the value driver carrying, you know, roughly 65% of the value of the bean. Well, in the past couple of years, as there's been so much excitement and forward-looking uh, potential demand growth in renewable diesel, there's been also been a lot more exuberance around uh, soybean oil, and you've seen, you've seen uh, prices come up. Now, that's not solely attributable to uh, the biofuels market. I'd actually contend that it's more due to macroeconomic factors, crop shortages in many of the oil-bearing crops over the last couple of years, um, certainly this year and last year, major production problems in Argentina this year for soy, Brazil last year. You know, you've got slowdowns in palm production out of Southeast Asia, a rough canola crop a couple of years back out of Canada. And then, you know, naturally you've got the ongoing conflicts in the Black Sea where Ukraine and Russia are you know, major sunflower seed oil producers. So you, you put all that together and 
you know, oil supplies over the last couple of years have been relatively tight on the backs of those production side disruptions. Uh, so that, you know, that's certainly a contributing factor to some of the revaluation. But overall, as the market has reevaluated soybean oil, it's also changed the value proposition for crushers in the United States and, you know, provided, you know, the market signals that we really need to expand crush in this country. For the renewable diesel market to work, you need feedstocks. And, you know, you don't just bring soy off a combine and all of a sudden have, you know, a drop in diesel fuel. It's got to go through many different stages of processing before you get there. And the first, you know, that you really need post-farm is is the crush. So over the last couple of years, you know, really the second half of the calendar year 2021, we saw these waves of announcements of, you know, crush expansion coming across the country. You had uncommon partners across energy and ag coming together. I think of a joint venture like Bungie and Chevron, where, you know, Chevron is investing heavily to scale up uh, and double the capacity of a couple major Bungie crushing facilities in southern Illinois and uh, near the port of New Orleans. And, you know, when you see that commitment level, and I think particularly partnerships forging between ag and energy around crush, that, that really feels catalytic. It, it feels like there's a lot of, you know, a lot of strength and commitment behind it. So what does this mean for the U.S. soy complex? Well, as all those announcements started coming in, now we're looking at announced capacity expansion uh, on the order of potentially over 30% over the next couple of years. Now, one piece of caution that I give is announcements are not capacity, and capacity is not actual production or utilization. So when you see when you see those figures about this really robust crush expansion, recognize that not all of it may come to fruition. You know, crush margins have been very, very strong these last couple of years. And certainly when margins are strong, there's an incentive to expand, right? If you can make, you know, one dollar on one unit, uh, and that's that's a good margin, then you know, one dollar across two units uh, feels better. So we're going through this transformational period where we have the potential to see a lot of crush come online in the next couple of years. But, you know, announcements are, of course, not actual steel on the ground yet. We'll be waiting to see how these uh, these plants uh, that are announced and, and some under construction, how those evolve in the coming years. And that's, that's, I think, the open question for anybody working in and around the soy complex. What's that new added crush going to be? What does it mean for incremental meal production? What does it mean for incremental oil production? So these are all the sorts of major strategic questions that we're looking at at USB. Excellent, Mac. You have shared a wealth of knowledge with us today, and we really appreciate the opportunity to learn more about what the United Soybean Board is doing to further promote soybean products that we grow domestically here. And if Listeners would like to learn more about the council. Where's a good place for them to go, Matt? I encourage everybody to check out unitedsoybean.org. We've got a ton of market information there, some tools and calculators. Um, You can hear about our strategic plan, the way that our farmers work together to help build that portfolio to advance the industry and opportunities for U.S. soybean farmers as a whole, while, you know, looking towards our enterprise vision for, you know, partnering to deliver sustainable soy solutions to every life, every day. That's what it's about. Uh, That's why our farmers 
are committed to farming year after year, season after season, bearing risk after risk, but also dedicating a lot of time to serve on our board and help make sure that the industry is best set up for the years to come. So check out unitedsoybean.org and also encourage people to check out some of our allied organizations, including USEC.org, that's the United States Soybean Export Council. As I said, I think a lot of soy is exported in the form of beans, meal, and oil. So seeing the work that our teams are doing around the, the world to advance preference for U.S. soy, I think is, is very critical. And then there's also our branded page of ussoy.org. So I encourage all listeners to check that out and uh, tune in for future episodes. Wonderful. Thanks again, Matt. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, feel free to hit subscribe, like us, or share us with a friend. Thanks to Corey Romero, our producer, and Paige Driscoll for mixing and mastering today's show. 